and welcome to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast. Our podcast features interviews and discussions on all issues relating to quality early learning and care, with a range of speakers who are leaders in the areas that matter to Early Childhood Ireland members. I'm Maura Corbett, and I work with Early Childhood Ireland. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be chatting with Sharon Skehill. Sharon owns Newtown Kids Club, which is divided over two premises, The Willows, which cares for children under three, and Newtown Kids Club, which is geared for children over three. The setting is based in Abbey in County Galway, and it, both uh, premises are outdoor settings. Uh, Sharon is a former link tutor, and she now lectures on early childhood studies in Mary Immaculate College in Limerick. So following on from previous episodes with Professor Laura Lundy and Anne O'Donnell about the national strategy on children and young people's participation in decision making, and then our last conversation with Kathy Steenson and Brittany Cusick about how they involve children in a meaningful way in the decisions around food and menu planning, I wanted to talk to Sharon today about how children's opinions are sought and acted on in her setting across all age ranges. So, Sharon, you're really welcome. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Well, thank you for having me, Maura. So, Sharon, uh, to start off, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your your setting, please? Lovely. Well, I've been working in the early years for about 15 years now. And um, I suppose we kind of gradually developed towards more of an outdoor ethos to the stage now that the Willows, which is the, the preschool, that's kind of considered a fully outdoor registered service with Tusla. And the under threes then that they will be outside maybe 50 to 70 percent of the time as well, those younger children. And it was really, I suppose, inspired by a lot of, um, I suppose, being actively involved in in research and wanting to develop our practice as well. So I was lucky enough to go on a couple of study visits uh, with Early Childhood Ireland over the years. So I, I've been to Norway and that was a big change in point for me to really see, do you know, how children it was so, not that it was easy, but there was an ease about the provision there and that it wasn't about managing do you know a crowd of children it was just that even with large numbers of children everything seemed to just slow down and this notion now of that slow pedagogy it like the outdoors just suits it so much and I suppose I find it's a really enjoyable environment to work in and it gives us the time and the space to enjoy the children and really enjoy our job And, and I think that's what I love about being in practice I'm lucky I feel that I have the joy of working because I work with the children myself um, in the preschool. I work with the older preschool groups and as well as obviously managing and overseeing. But I love that part and I love that I have that connection with children and I can bring my knowledge from there to my teaching and my lecturing and I can bring my knowledge from research into my work with the children and with the staff team and and parents and families. Um, So, yeah, so that's our setting. So there's... um, about 20 staff between full and part-time between the two services. Um, And I suppose you need that to be able to, as we're talking about children's participation, in order for those voices to be heard, you need to have decent ratios in place. So um, I think we've been very fortunate to facilitate that. But I think it's a real indicator of quality when you can have that low ratios because children from that younger age group from six months all the way through 
you want to have somebody available to them at all times to be able to see and to be able to notice what they want and what they need. So, um, yeah, so I have a wonderful staff team um, who are with us and similarly embrace the outdoors because that's part and parcel of the job with us. Yeah, I think being able to notice, you know, being able to stand back and watch, I think, you know, that's as important a part of the interaction sometimes is, you know, watching to see what children are in uh, are interested in, noticing, responding, then, um, you know, sometimes people feel they have to be in and doing all the time. And that's so important that you're listening, but noticing and watching is uh, is important uh, to, uh, to, you know, to uh, be able to identify kind of nonverbal cues and, um, you know, what's really interesting children. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and I think that for us, do you know, a lot of it, I think, comes down to your, your view of the child. Do you know, so when we talk about children's participation and you know, there's all this wonderful theory around it, but I think yeah, you know, to get that really grounded in practice. And I think in the early years, um, we've really embraced that child-centered approach and that child-led approach and um, feel very proud to say that within the early years, we really are a model for that regard for children to see that the focus is always about what the child needs. And, what, and I think that for the, the Ashley Shields Practice Guide was certainly a changing point for us in really supporting the whole staff team to think about, well, what is your view of children? Because you, you need to really get the principles of ASH there. And I think sometimes we can think a lot about the themes and the aims and the learning goals and those principles of that child-led approach, do you know, or, or that rights-based approach that is that really at the heart of ASH there, that it, there might be as much of an emphasis on it. And I think the practice guide really got people thinking about well, how do I view children? How, how are children being respected and regarded? And that you're talking to children and, and you want to create these environments where they are, they feel welcome and that it's inviting for them. So it's lovely to see that shift towards this you know, more child-centered approach. And I think the early years that we have done that very well um, in a lot of ways. Now, I know obviously there's a lot to do and I think the framework, um, Laura Lundy's framework is a great one for you know, continuing that reflective process of looking at, well, what am I doing? Do you know that we, we say, yeah, of course we do circle time. So of course the children have their voices heard, but that doesn't work for everybody. It's not going to work for the one-year-olds. It's not going to work for um, children who are shyer in a group, let alone children who may be non-verbal and do you know there's different challenges in communicating their needs so i think being able to um to support children's participation we really need to take more of an active role as educators and as teachers and as duty bearers to say well that we are watching and observing and i think that if you're going to um you, you need to have these communicative spaces. And I know you spoke a lot about those in the universal design guidelines as well, you know, about having those spaces where there's time to talk and there's time to notice. So talking with the children, observing the children and talking to colleagues, a space where you can talk to parents, because I feel that you can't, um, you know, to, to include children and have their voices heard. You really need to to embrace their whole identity as well that's coming from home 
And it, we actually ha- had an interesting conversation about how we were do you give an agency to those younger children or children who may be nonverbal of what's our role then? How, how can we make sure that, you know, that they're, rights and their needs are being communicated effectively to us and it does necessitate that we think outside the box and say well it, it does mean that if we have do you know no strategies in order for that child to be able to make their voice heard within the group that maybe we have different strategies that, that might work in the preschool environment but then to say are we involving parents you know because that they then can nurture that as well, give us their feedback on it. And so there's more of a team approach. And I think that's something that we, we've tried to talk about of how we're sharing our professional knowledge with home and how is home contributing to that. So that's how we are trying to facilitate children's participation. That this is what Brenner is about, isn't it? That whole approach that we're all working together um, to, to, so for children who can't verbally tell us what they want or what they need and to help them to, to be able to do that in practice I think is is um, very important. Yeah, I love I love Sharon that you mentioned about kind of the smaller groups and, and yeah. circle time because, you know, I think we would all have at a time have thought that circle time was when children got the chance to talk. But when you think about the length of time that a circle time in a preschool where there are 20, 22 children, maybe um, if every child gets two minutes, that's still 40 minutes, which is, uh, you know, a completely unrealistic time for children to um, to sit and, and listen when they should be playing and being active and um expressing their views in other ways. So kind of the smaller communicative spaces that you mentioned is a much more um, uh, appropriate way, really, to give children that voice and audience that um, that uh, is ta- that Laura Lundy talks about in the in the Lundy model, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think it's that shift away for I suppose that formal approach of, in particular, that preschool group. Do you know to be able to shift away from that formality, and and to recognise that the benefits of small group activities or provocations or invitations for play, I think for all age groups that. I think we can assume, and I think again, that's respecting children and they're they're do wanting to participate. Like really, you're not going to have a whole group of children all interested in the same activity at the same time, or all wanting to hear the same story at the same time. So to have small groups, and again, I, I do think it comes back to having that, like the communicative spaces means that there could be all these different interest areas in the rooms or in the outdoors. So the children have opportunities and they're based around their interests you know so you will know that you you'll put a lot of emphasis into your construction area because some of the children that they love you know playing there but it means that if children are engaged in purposeful play in different areas it means then that you can facilitate that small group session where you can have those of the uh, chats with the children and hear what they have to say at regardless of what age so whether that's the observations with the babies um, and that you have that lovely, quiet and the slow interactions with them. And I think that's the, the real nurturing part that can get caught up sometimes in, um, do you know, like routines. So I think we just need to be careful of routines um, across the way because 
um, I feel sometimes we can we can try to get things done, you know, and obviously things have to be done. But I think when we look at our environment and our staffing ratios and so on, to be able to just slow down a bit, to be able to talk to the babies and know that our role, that that nurturing role is so important, whether it's with the one-year-olds or whether it's the 10-year-olds, you know, have that conversation or that they know there's a space. I think that's the important thing, that they know there's a place where they can go and there's a person there who's going to be listening and that you can respond. And now it's not always the response they want. We may as well yeah. do know that, that sometimes it's not possible. But I think that that for all of the children, it, it's the ideas, I suppose, for the baby who maybe doesn't want to come in because they're, you know, that initial transition in. But that we are the audience who is, you know, kind of saying, OK, well, what do they like doing? I wonder if we could have like a washer table set up there because we know that he loves water play and that he could have a slow transition in. Monk could stay for a little while in the outdoor classroom with them. You know, so you're hearing them in different ways for yeah. the older children that you're similarly able to, um, you know, have a discussion and let them know that, yeah, we're re- willing to hear what you want to say and we'll meet you know, a happy medium. So at least they feel, I think children know they're not always going to get their own way as such in, in that environment because it is group care. But to say that we can then plan outcome, but you know what, we'll go to the Astro and play football on Wednesday. And then what we'll do today is, do you know what this other group of children want to play or whatever it is. Um, but I think the fact is that if they, they know that they are part of that decision making process. And again, it just it just um, makes things easier across the way if children feel they're being heard it's it's easier for them and um it's easier for us they just feel more valued in it. and you you mentioned at the start about you know observing in in Norway the kind of the ease while you said it wasn't easy there was still yeah. an ease and a relax and I was I you know I'd agree with you having been in in Norway it was just there was just that natural flow, flow that happened outdoors and uh I was thinking of it again there when you were talking about the uh the small groups and how influence and um, uh, audience can follow naturally in play, where rather the which is much more authentic, really, than kind of noting things down and planning how you can give the influencer the voice afterwards. It's much more authentic to kind of have it happen in in the moment, uh, and there's maybe less likely to be upset then, um, particularly with those younger children. But absolutely. And I think, again, that if you are attentive to observing the children and their needs you know, and their wants and their interests and the environment reflects that, it, it just means that the children are content and it's lovely. You know, and I think it keeps us all motivated because we have a real purposeful role in we can provide for the children, how we can continually support them. So, you know, so like, for example, if the babies, if they're interested in water play of what we can do to see them get excited then when you add another element to that. Do you know if you are adding bubbles to that or adding cars or whatever it might be? But or to see then how you can use that opportunity to get them interacting. Do you know? So you're you're promoting their their development and their participation because you know of of making those connections that there is a real informed pedagogy behind what what we do. Do you know that 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 children are supported in their participation because for children to develop those access strategies that's our role to 
to help them to do that and to know that their voice matters and they can have an opinion and they can express that. Um, and I think in particular, when I said in, in the outdoors, there there's just there isn't that sensory overload. Do you know that the children can have the space and they can have um, that sense of calmness? And, and, and there's, I suppose, a lot of the theory, do you know, around our, our connections with nature and I think the children really do need that you know and as well as like I know there's a, a more of a emphasis now on outdoor play but I really don't want it to be just about minimizing infection it obviously does that but there's such richness in the curriculum in the outdoors for all age groups and again I think it, it's valuing that play-based curriculum do you know emergent curriculum that is based on the children's needs but they learn so much like they like all of ours would would do you know have an interest in like literacy, numeracy, scientific concepts, and it's all through this play based approach. It's not through any formal instructions, but it's more about this lovely, easy way. Even from the babies, like they're learning about volume and capacity because they have their water tray with the different size containers, and then you can add language to it and add opportunities for exploration. But again, it, it's making sure that we are, um, that the curriculum is based on what they want, what they need. And I think it's lovely that we can add different elements um, to it. Because sometimes it's people say, well, they're not interested in, or how would they be interested in a particular thing? And the other side is, I think, like, if they don't know about it, how do they know if they're interested or not? So it's lovely to give children different opportunities so they can have a choice in what they're doing and at, at regardless of whatever age that we're able to provide that for them and that other children can influence that too you know that it's sometimes it's the other children know about things and Absolutely. it's absorbed in uh, a more playful natural kind of way than the adult kind of planning the lessons about x y or z absolutely yeah and again so, that's why it's important to think that they have that, that you know even side circle time or things because it is so hard as you were saying for children to share their news and they're bursting to tell you news you know and not this anthem about large group do you know large group is a good kind of communal thing and we always do a large group roll call and we'll do a couple of songs but it's not really the time to get the news because you can't attribute that value to it i'm not a good audience if i have 22 who all want to say something so when we have the small groups, that means that the different team members are able to, um, to, you know, talk to the children and to that it will lead on to different um, ideas and activities. For example, one of the, the team members actually had a lovely gardening book that was being created with in conjunction with like grandparents and parents. You know, these ideas from home and um, and the little boy this term actually had sent in pressed flowers he had done with his grandparents because it was something that we had started doing a nature walk and it all just kind of um, went from there. But just involving home and, do you know, the children's active participation with, with people who are important to them for us to hear that as well. Yeah, it's it, that partnership with, uh, you know, you mentioned about the outdoors uh, not just being a place where risk of infection is, uh, is is lower, which has become kind of the focus naturally enough over the past nearly two years. Um, but the downside of, of that is there's the potential for parents to be distanced um, um, metaphorically as well as physically. Yeah. And it's finding those ways of still valuing that time and including the feedback from home and then feeding it back, uh, feeding it back to home as well. So it's, Keeping all those those strands going in a, in a in a very active participatory ways, 
so important. So Sharon, thanks a million for that. It, I really loved, loved the chat. It's lovely to see the examples of children's participation in action and how children can and do participate. And and I love the way, you know, you, you focused on babies and, and toddlers and how the environment can enable and encourage uh, participation uh, in that. So Sharon, thanks so much for joining us today. Michelle, thanks so much for having me, Maura. And uh, thank you for listening to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues, and we hope you'll join us next time.